Hi everyone, it's podcast 78 from Football Adania, your home of Dutch football. We're available on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes and Football Nation Radio to give you the latest on the Dutch Eredivisie and the Dutch national team. This time our top headlines are Frank de Boer gets his first two wins in charge of the Dutch national team at last and also the news in the Dutch Eredivisie Top teams are, of course, mentioned, but we've got some other questions in too on Twitter. Thank you for sending those in. Of course, give us a big thumbs up. Like if you're enjoying our podcasts and you're glad that we're giving them to you as regular as possible at the moment. And comment your thoughts on the podcast if you have any questions for next time. I'm Michael Statham and I'm with Mike Bell, as usual, to give you uh, our views on Dutch football. Enjoy the podcast. Mike, it's good to talk to you about Dutch football. Um, as always, really enjoy it. Let's get into the Dutch national team first because it's um, it's something that happened a little while ago now. We didn't record something over that break. Uh, it was personal circumstances for me. I don't know, a couple of people have come up to me and they said, oh, why didn't you record something after the Dutch national team games? But I guess this is our reaction to it. Um, Frank de Boer finally got his first two wins as boss. Following a draw with Spain, he beat Bosnia 3-1 and Poland 2-1. I didn't catch the games, but you did, Mike. And was there an improvement? Because I know that I'm still of the opinion of from before uh, those three games where the football wasn't great. He wasn't giving players a chance. Um, and it, it felt like a step back. But how do you feel about the Dutch national team now? And, and particularly Frank de Boer? I think this is a big step in the right direction. Um, the three games that we've seen, you know, a draw against Spain, very credible now, seeing how they demolished Germany as well. Um, it was a good start to this international period. And then the win against Bosnia was was good and um, wasn't great. But I think that the performance against Poland, um, much better from basically since they conceded to the end. Um, yeah, it should be more than a 2-1 victory. But um, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a step in the right direction for De Boer. He gave some players a chance, especially against Poland, um, starting with Malin and Stengs, um, which I didn't think he would do, do. I guess his circumstances with Ryan Babel being out um, with coronavirus kind of forced his hand. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's one of these things where I think they got the victories and it wasn't enough to take us through in the Nations League, but the signs of improvement. Um, and now we just need to see where we are in, in March. But I think after having such a disappointing first international period under De Boer that this one's definitely a right step in the direction of the European Championships and I think that we've seen that you know Poland and Bosnia are the sort of sides they're going to face in the, in the group stages and you know Netherlands looked better than them all and then in the friendly they went toe-to-toe with Spain and really should have won the game um, so yeah I think uh, De Boer can be happy with this international period I think a small gripe would have been you know that he called up Gravenberch and Botman um, and didn't give either of them a, a chance. Um, Coop Miners didn't get on against Spain. He eventually had to pull out the squad. You know, these are the players I want to see given a chance, um, which he didn't do. He didn't give Gravenberch, who we've seen go from strength to strength for Ajax um, in the Champions League and there, he was an excellent player. I would like to see him make his debut. But yeah, other than that, you know, it was an international period where you come out of it basically 
wondering if the actually deserves some credit because you know there were victories and ones against Bosnia and Poland were were pretty straightforward. Um, I know we had to come from behind against Poland as late goals, but judged by the performance, it was a fully deserved win. That's really positive to hear, and I wasn't expecting the Netherlands to play so well in those games and get those wins so comfortably. The the thing that that I was thinking about, um, Ash came up in the corner of the questions, and it was about whether De Boer has learned from his mistakes. Uh, how do you assess his performance? Well, what were the mistakes he was making, Mike, and, and did he put them right? Or, like you say, was it purely because of selections of players that he had to make? Is that why the Netherlands won, do you think? Or did, or did he change stuff? I think he... I don't know if the mistakes that we've been talking about here are the mistakes he's made in his past. Um, you know, his defensive football, you know, he's been seen as a sideways coach, you know, players play sideways. Um, whereas he's tried to come into Netherlands, he's saying that he's not that. He's a forward-thinking attacking coach. Um, you know, we saw it in the game against Italy before in the last international period, he changed to a five at the back. Um, which he was reacting to the formation that Italy played, but he's came back to 4-3-3 for this one. And that's three, you know, good performances under him. Um, I think, yeah, and I hope that he has learned from his mistakes. You know, he's dropped Kevin Stripman, which we can all say is, you know, a hallelujah of that, um, that he's at the squad. But, you know, Ryan Babb was one that you're sort of still looking at, wondering why. Um, De Bruyne again was asked about why he's getting picked and he gave an answer about, you know, you want the guys that are so um, eager to be at the tournament within the squad. So obviously off the pitch, Babbo's a, a leader um, and showing some real will to try and get to your 2020. You know, I just wish he'd show that on the pitch because when he came on against Spain, you know, he was missing chances and didn't look too great. I think there's just groans all around when he saw him coming on for the last, you know, five, 10 minutes. We needed a goal when he had to like some Allen and uh, on the bench. Um, I think, I think he is learning, you know, he started with Stengs and Malin, they both put in great performances against Poland. Um, Memphis for the middle, where he was played on the wing in one of the games. Um, you know, Luke de Jong was terrible against Bosnia, but he got taken out for the next game. You know, he's learning as he goes along. Um, he's got to hope he keeps doing that when it comes to March. If players aren't impressed him, he's not just calling them up because he's been in the squad before, he's calling them up because their actual performance warrants it. Um, yeah, so we'll see by the time March comes around if somebody like about Veghorst, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, um, you know, six Bundesliga goals in his last six games, whether he comes into the squad for a Luke de Jong, who's, who's not impressing. So we just need to wait and see if De Boer is the sort of man that's going to go with his own opinion or he's just going to keep picking the same players. But uh, again, good signs that he is willing to drop Strutman and he is willing to call up players like Raven Birch and, and Botman when there is more experienced options. So, yeah. Yeah, this is just an international period where I was quite impressed by De Boer and his selections and, and the performances. That's really good to hear. And someone who's often at the centre of attention when it comes to the Dutch national team, because of his transfer to Manchester United, Donny van der Beek. What did you make of him in the international period, Mike? Because I, I saw that he was he had more involvement than before. In fact, he's probably playing more minutes for Adania than he is for United at the minute. Um, how do you assess him in the last month or so? Because... His career seems to be particularly interesting at the moment as to whether he's going to step it up and become a really key player for the Netherlands or whether he's just going to become like a bit of a Neely man. Yeah, I think he was, you know, he got the goal against Spain and he played the right in that match. But then you saw the difference when 
De Boer pushed Wijnaldum into 10 row against you know, Bosnia. Wijnaldum scored twice um, and looked excellent throughout the game. I just think that Van der Beek gets lost in the Netherlands midfield. I don't think there's a position there for him. I think the team looks more fluid when he's not playing, when Wijnaldum's at the 10. Um, you know, my ideal Netherlands midfield would not have Van der Beek in it at the minute. Um, you know, that my United is struggling for game time, although he started the latest Premier League win. Um, he's getting praised for the way he played as well. Um, he seems to be doing right there now. And I hope that he continues to grow in confidence there. And he's definitely going to be part of the squad going to the Euros. But, you know, if you ask me what ideal Nervon's midfield is, he's not in it. You know, I'd pick Frankie de Jong, obviously, by now in the 10. Then there's a battle between likes of Coop Miners, um, Darun, Kravenbech, these players to play alongside Frankie de Jong, not Van de Beek. So he's got a job and he's got to, when he does play for Nervon's, he's got to really assert himself, which he just hasn't done yet, in my opinion. There's still a way to go for Van der Beek, but that's positive to hear that he's played a whole 90 minutes for United anyway, and um, fingers crossed for him. Speaking of uh, Ajax sort of related players, we must talk about um, a couple of guys that, are, that have come through um, at Ajax. I should be careful there, because Perskers is one of them, and he came from Fortuna Sittard, of course, at 17 years of age. But a few years later, he's really come into his own now. Um, and the other one as well, Ryan Havenbach, who is only 18. The two, the two guys at the minute are really, really stepping it up. They're becoming top, top quality players, similar to what we saw with um, De Ligt and De Jong. And by the end of the season, you just don't know how good these guys are going to become. But there's, there's, been, there's been massive improvement um, from the two of them. Uh, and yeah, Ajax are playing Liverpool midweek. We're releasing this podcast on the Sunday. It might be that they've already played Liverpool by now, but... Regardless, in the league, Ajax are unstoppable, Mike. Um, what have you made of them recently? For, for me personally, I've found that they've won games very easily. It's great to see that they're, they're concentrating in the games because previously Ajax have been their own worst enemy and they've, they've sort of <laughs> turned up to a game thinking they could just win 2 or 3-0. But now they're turning up to games and winning them at a canter 4-5-0. But for me, it's getting concerning for the league itself, actually, with just how easy... Ajax are winning because I don't find them to be quite as strong as they were two years ago with De Jong, De Ligt, etc. What have you made of Ajax this season, Mike, and particularly in those recent games? Have Ajax just been really good or have the opposition been really poor? Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of both. I think what Ten Hag's done with his squad is, is great. He's created competition, so when you know they play these European games and you think that maybe they'll take their eye off the league games, he makes a couple of changes. Um, you know, he's got that luxury with having likes of Neres, Anthony, Promish. He can switch and change them about. Um, it's those five substitutions, isn't it, in the area of his Ajax seems to be milking that, being able to make five substitutions. And if they're three and up at half time, they can make a triple sub just like that and bring on top quality players. So uh, they've got the competition for players. You even saw it, yes, um, yeah, on, on Saturday that they could bring Huntoir on for the, the second half, give some rest to some players ahead of the Liverpool game. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a big worry that teams just don't seem to be able to compete with them. It seems that Ajax have that aura at the moment where a team comes up against them and they're scared, they sit deep, 
Whereas you don't have that when they play like a Feyenoord or a PSV at the minute. Um, you know, they're not winning these games like Ajax are. You know, PSV are struggling. Feyenoord are struggling. You know, Drew at home to Utrecht and today was Ajax, you know, thumped them 3-0. A few weeks ago, Ajax are thumping teams 13-0, 5-0, 6-0, like each week. Um, it is worrying for the league that it just seems that these teams just can't compete with them when it comes to games against Feyenoord and PSV, they seem to be able to raise their game and actually give them a, a challenge. Um, and if Ajax win this league at the canter, then it is a worry. But, you know, I've not seen Ajax against PSV, I've not seen Ajax against Feyenoord, I've not seen Ajax in any big games until next year. Um, and that's the real marker of this team. Um, so we'll see what they're doing then. But right now they seem unstoppable, they're scoring goals for fun. Defensively, they look strong. And the squad's just strong, you know. Then Haggis has options left, right and centre. Um, you know, he can bring Brian Brobby up from Young Ajax and give him a game. He can take Divine Wrench, who was named Talent of the Year last week, and then give him his debut. Because by the time he's doing this, they're 3-4-0 up in games, and it's, it's just too easy for him. He's got to worry that... You've got to hope that it breeds confidence into games like one against Liverpool this, this week, because I think they've got a big chance against Liverpool, you know. Um, defensively, they've got issues... They're missing a lot of key players. Ajax statistically are, are better away from home than they are at home in the Champions League. So yeah, we saw that Atalanta beat them last week, so I don't know why Ajax can't go to Anfield and get something as well. They're in top form. Some of the best players have been given a rest. They're going to go into that game fully fit. You know, the one that missed the first game against Liverpool, Anthony is back. He's going to be in there. I think... There's just so much confidence around in Amsterdam at the moment and it was hard to see them losing games. Well, when it was Ajax at home to Liverpool, they created so many opportunities and they probably should have won uh, by 2-0 or something. 2-0, 2-1 would have been a, probably a fair reflection of the game. Liverpool nicked that one. Um, and, uh, and Liverpool being at home, the onus is on them to go and attack. But if they're sat deep, I don't think the pace of Spurs is going to be an issue. I think that he'll defend quite well. Probably suits him actually. He's built to be a Premier League player in time, um, and as he's been linked with Liverpool as well recently, so I'm sure they'll be keeping a close eye on him in that game. Um, but Havenberg as well, and Anthony, just these young players who I don't think they're going to fully understand how quite how good they are. I think that they could easily underestimate the Liverpool, uh, so they'll be want, want to be wary of that. But regardless, you know, Ajax have done pretty well in the Champions League again this season. No matter what happens in these last two games. I find it hard to be critical of them just because of how good Liverpool and Atalanta are. And they've beaten Mitchelland away, away and at home. Like, you know, in the past, they wouldn't have been able to do that. They would have found that game quite tricky. But it shows you how far they've come. And there's more good news as well for European, Dutch European teams, if you like. RZ, PSV and Feyenoord are all still well within contention of qualifying from their group. One of the questions we had in was from Abdul, asking whether they can all make it through to the knockout stage. Uh, I, I mean, I have to guarantee of, of playing European football after the winter break. Whether that's in the Europa League or Champions League, we don't know yet. RZ are flying in their Europa League group, but may need to get a result against Napoli. PSV are halfway horse and final two. They're, both PSV and final could be well within it. And RZ, I guess it comes down to the Napoli game. What do you make of those three sides at the minute, Mike? And do you think they're going to make it through to play European football after winter? Yeah, um, I think you can make cases for all three of them going through and you can make cases at the moment for all three of them going out. Um, the groups are just that tight. 
the moment, you know, he's had got tough games ahead, um, especially against Napoli at home. And even HNK Rijeka is going to be a hard one away from home as well, so they've got two tough games to come. you got to look at getting something from that Napoli game to make sure that they get through, and yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Um, I think that they really nicked the win in, in Italy. Um, you know, they were totally dominated, but managed to get a goal in against Real Sociedad on Thursday. They really should have won that game. Um, they're the better team by far. Um, so it's a shame that that one ended. They'll know. Um, yeah, wait and see how it goes against Napoli. If they can somehow get a result in that one, then I think they are going to get through, which is amazing considering that as soon as that draw was made, I was like, oh, well, AZ are going to finish third in that group. Um, but with two games to go, they're still well in it, and I didn't see that happen. But, you know, credit to, to Slot and his, his side. Um, PSV are in trouble, I think. Um, yeah, they really pulled out of the bag against Pauke on Thursday. You know, they're defensively awful for that first 20 minutes when they're 2-0 down. Um, I thought that was it. It was all done, dead and buried. They were going to be knocked out, but we managed to turn around. And I think that having players like Cody Gakpo, Madueke and Malin, um, all young, all quick, all threatening, um, really helped them in that game. And then you just need to hope that this first they can get something against Granada. Um, they really shouldn't have lost at home to them. Um, so yeah, they need to get something away from in Spain to give themselves the best chance. I think Feyenoord they did really, really well um, to get a point against CSK Moscow, especially after Jorgensen went off. And I think that they've got, of all three the teams, um, the best chance of getting through, I think. I think they've got easier easier games. I think that Feyenoord have the best chance of going through. I think I can see all three getting through. Um, right now, if I had to hand on heart to see who I think is going to get through, I'd probably say Feyenoord and PSV. Um, I think AZ might struggle against Napoli. And then yeah, going away to Croatia is always a hard game. But I hope I'm wrong. Um, I hope all three get through. But yeah, I can see maybe one or two of them slip up. But if at least one of them gets through, then that's quite a good... Um, European season from Dutch team because usually it's sort of struggle in the Europa League and maybe one gets through and we'll see how we get on. Um, but Ajax getting through their group in the Champions League and one or two Dutch teams getting through in the Europa League would be another great year for Dutch sides in Europe and then continue to rise in the coefficient. I think six places within sight. Um, so yeah, it's another positive season. They just need to keep build, building on that. Um, I guess that's the worry if the league's getting weaker and weaker. But you never know. You see it in Places like Scotland now where they're rising up as well and their league's really weak. So I just need to hope that the Dutch league keeps rising because of Ajax and then over the years PSV and AZ and Feyenoord will hopefully be able to continue to push in the Europa League. You heard from a Scotsman there that the Scottish league is weak. It wasn't from me and I'm English, so it's fine. <laughs> I think we can all admit it here, it's fine. <laughs> Well, the Turkish league is, is stronger than the Dutch league. Um, I, I think I can say it pretty confidently. Uh, the strength and depth is there with the Turkish league. However, it's the top teams. Um, they've been stripped of money and they're struggling now. So I guess it is it is truly how, how good the top teams can be in the league. And Celtic and Rangers in, the Scot in Scotland are, are good teams, uh, equivalent perhaps with some of the top teams in the Netherlands. But then I guess it's the strength and depth, which means that if you do end up getting a 
a sixth team into Europe, which I guess if you were finishing sixth or seventh in the coefficient rankings, um, or even, even higher, you know, you get those extra teams, but then you've got to try and uphold the coefficient then with those extra teams, and it's, you don't want Villain Trey getting in and then getting knocked down to Europe immediately, which is what happened this season. If that happens two or three times with different teams, then all of a sudden you've got them dragging up the whole coefficient. Anyway, some people love learning about the coefficient and others probably hate it. So we'll leave that there. But yeah, it's, it's looking tight for Isaiah Pierce for the final. And all three of those teams look to be closing in an Ajax now at the top and giving them a good season. So it's, it's tricky to say quite where they're going to go yet because like you say, Mike, there's the top teams are yet to play each other and that will happen in January. That was done because uh, the Netherlands wanted to get fans back into stadiums in time for those top teams uh, to play each other. And, you know, fans being back in stadiums, that would be massive. But we've got to wait until that January for that. What could be interesting is if Vitesse are level on points with the top teams at the time, and then it hits January, and then Arsenal appears to be final and Ajax, they've got to drop points somewhere, leaving Vitesse with a great chance of being in the top three, top four teams uh, by the end of January. They're flying at the moment. They're still second in the table. And I know we talked about them uh, a fair bit on the last podcast, but another month has rolled on. And they're still in second place. What is going so right for the test at the moment, Mike? Um, and why they're worth talking about? Because they're not just any old team. They've got the got a good tactical system. And, and Rishevi Bazur, he seems to be this, the heart of everything we're testing well this season. Yeah, he's been outstanding in defence. And, and rightfully, he's getting linked with uh, and everyone's caught up. Um, I think he'd only sit it if he'd go back to win five at the back. Um, I think that he would be a candidate for that. But yeah, he's having an outstanding season and one that you couldn't really see because you know, last year he was dropped from Vitesse's midfield and he wasn't really getting a look in. Um, and after the years of just his career going in a downward spiral, you thought that maybe he was one that wasn't going to fulfil his talent. But since he's been moved to centre-back this season, he's been outstanding. And yeah, it really looks like the position that he's going to go forward with in his career and hopefully he can keep going from strength to strength. But yeah, over the pitch, Vitesse look great up front. They've got so many options up front. They've got Appenda, Broya, um, Darfalau came off the bench today and scored. Uh, they've just got so many options then. You've got Tanan pulling the strings behind him and he's been excellent so far this season and he's a real real playmaker. Um, he hasn't really lived up to the hype of his career so far, but now at the test he seems to be um, finally fulfilling his potential. Um, and that's great for them because He's one that's getting the assists, he's grabbing goals, he's one that's leading them up the table. So it's all over the pitch, they seem strong. Tactically, they're great, they play attacking, good football. Um, defensively, they're strong. It's just all around strong side that seems to be capable of going toe-to-toe -to -toe anyone. Um, I know they lost to Ajax earlier in the season, which was disappointing for them because they were playing against 10 men. You would have hoped that they could have at least got a draw in that game, but they've done well since then, it's the only game they've lost all season. Um, you saw last week that they had dropped points against Ronnie but they bounced back today. Um, Fortuna Sittard, who are having a poor season, are managers, so you wouldn't expect them to get a game, but they beat them, didn't slip up. So yeah, it's just a great season so far in Arnhem, and I don't see why not, if they keep playing like this, that come end of the year, they could still be in contention for a top three, four spot. They look the most likely team to do what AZ did last year and, and push Ajax because they're beating the, the teams that you expect them to beat and that's what they have to do and they can 
go toe to toe with Feyenoord, PSV, and AZ, so they can win those games as well. So, yeah, I don't see why not. They can be a contender for second place, definitely. It's uh, what you said there, Mike. The fact that they are beating the teams they're expected to beat, and that is the difference between a team that's going to be fifth or sixth, wherever tests normally finish, and a top four team. Because any of those teams in the top eight can play really well against those top teams and give them a really good game. But it's then about how they go about beating Fortuna Sittard at home, for example. How they can go away to uh, Heracles and, and, and win. That will be the difference. And there's also a big gap developing in the middle of the Eredivisie table. The top eight um, are looking pretty good, pretty well. But then you've got Utrecht sort of in the middle of that in ninth. And then the whole of the bottom half, they're, they're struggling to, to hold up a ratio of about a point per game. There's an eight-point gap between eighth and tenth already in, in this season. I think that's going to carry on. And I, I saw it, you know, I, I don't want to pretend I missed it, Meg, here. But I, I saw this developing um, a few weeks back. I, I was starting to wonder whether we were going to see a, a massive disparity this season between the top half and the bottom half because of the quality of the teams. Koenigan are a good team. Herlenvain um, have some really good attacking players to win games. Twente surprised me that we're in top half, but again, they, they've got the firepower to win games. And then you've got the rest of the top teams up there too. But then the bottom half is just full of teams who um, have lost a couple of players maybe. Villantuation will be down there. But there's a whole clutch of teams which haven't bought well, can't afford loads of good players, and ultimately just aren't able to compete really with the teams in the top half of the table. Again, I come back to what we said about Ajax earlier. Does this concern you about the league? Or is this nothing new? It's a concern, um, but then it leads into a good relegation battle, which is exciting, whereas you've got at the top and then you've got the battle at the bottom as well. So yeah, I think that right now you're looking at anyone from basically 11 to 18 can go down. You know, you look at teams like FC Emin, who have done great in the past couple of years to, to stay up, but are they on their divisi side? Probably not. They probably should be in the second division. Where you got teams there like Nag Breda, Nijmegen, um, you'd, you'd imagine them coming up and putting up a better fight than them um, with the resources that they have. Now, you've seen clubs like Den Haag last year, flirting with relegation again, they're awful. You know, they've brought in a lot of players this summer, but this doesn't seem to be working. Um, yeah, it's great to see Ricardo Kishner back for, for Ado Den Haag, but other than that, their squad just seems to be incapable of competing with even the teams around them at the moment. They've only got one win all season in 10 games. Same with, you know, Fortuna and SEM and zero wins. The only one that I can see in the bottom half that I enjoy watching are Sparta Rotterdam because of the young players they have, like Harui and Omega on the bench. Um, I think they've got some good young talents coming through and I think that they'll compete a bit better for the rest of the season. We've seen it, they've held, AZ have held. Feyenoord, I think their position is a bit um, different from the rest of the teams. But yeah, you got likes of Will and Tway who's just had a horrible season. It's been unlucky that they lost right to injury beforehand because I think he would have been suited perfectly to their division with strength. Um, but yeah, I think for the rest of the season, we're going to see it. The, the top nine, ten teams are far away and above better than the, the bottom half and it's just going to be that sort of disparity for the rest of the season. The teams that are at the bottom can beat each other 
but it can't be anyone in the top half. Um, I know there's going to be a gap this season. Whether I'm praised next year remains to be seen. I can't see it because the teams that probably come up, you know, right now, so can like Amir City, something like that, you know, they're still going to be bottom half. Um, it's hard because, you know, Sparta Rotterdam, right at the moment, they might have two or three young talents, but Abdul Harui, who's their best player by far, he's a great player for their divisies. And everyone's under 21 international. He's only getting linked to Groningen and they're only going to pay, say, three, four million for him. So resources aren't there for them to, say, buy a couple of players to then bridge the gap. Um, likes of Pex Voa announced a few years ago that they were going to try and restructure and try and challenge the top six, but that's not worked out at all. Um, so, yeah, this, the difference between finance to the top half and the bottom is... It's stark, and I think after a year like we've had with coronavirus, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. So, in the next couple of years, I think it's going to be the top teams leading the way again, and then the rest of them just find it out to try and stay in the division. It's a sad sign, but um, only something's going to improve once the top teams are really strong, which is, I guess, what you can say is happening now. And then the money will filter down the league once more purchases happen if they buy a really good player from the mid table side, for example. There's a couple of questions left that are to do with the Eredivisie. Uh, one from Gerard Scholten. He, he says, question from Melbourne, Australia. Um, how is Daniel Arzani progressing at FC Utrecht? Uh, well, Utrecht have had a pretty poor season um, and I haven't seen much of Arzani, but I know that he's come on a few times off the bench. What have you found of him, Mike? Yeah, I've seen a few times on the bench. Um, to be totally honest, I don't think I've seen much from impressing um i'm not really seeing him do much so far he's not really one of our key players comes off the bench but yeah he's not going to be a key player for utrecht whereas yeah i just don't see him doing much for the rest of the season to be honest i think it their midfield is pretty set the way it is with meyer ramsar and van der streek and gustafsson i think that arzani has got to struggle to break into that and then even further forward, he's got other players ahead of him in the pecking order. So, yeah, he's got to be a substitute for the rest of the season, I think, unless he comes in and shows some spark on form, which he hasn't done so far. I do disagree with um, the midfield being pretty set because Alviera earlier has been getting some gains in the left wing um, and hasn't really been pressing at all. But I wonder whether the managerial change will have an impact eventually with that. Uh, John Van den Brom... Uh, only gave Arzani a few bench appearances. And let's not forget, by the way, that he's been heavily injured for a long time too, Arzani. So it's going to take a little while for him to get his form back. But yeah, Rene Hark has come in as, as sort of standing coach and they're going to give him a chance to impress. And if he impresses, he'll get the job permanently. If not, it'll be someone else coming in. So it could be there's a little bit of unsettled time there, uh, not just with the managers, but also with the squad because of that. So you never know, he could get a chance. But yeah, at the minute, I agree, Mike, he's not... Um, showing much promise, unfortunately. Uh, another question from Graham. He wants to know if there's any young upcoming Dutch managers or coaches that he could look into. Uh, along with sort of lines of a Nagelsmann is, is what impression I'm getting. So there's a couple that I can think of. Um, I'm going to give my main one, if you like. Danny Baus at Honingen. He's only 38. He is someone who has, has, has improved... Honigan's defence massively, they're a hard team to beat. They have one of the best defences in the Dutch league. In fact, if I just have a quick look at the league. 
11 goals conceded in 10 games is pretty good. They don't score a lot of goals though either, so that's I guess a downside to that. But up there with the best defence in the league yet again. And he plays um, quite a tight 4-4-2 formation and he uses pace for the strikers. I guess that's um, someone who interests me and I think Danny Bowes could be someone who steps up to a bigger team in the future. Um, how about you, Mike? Who, who's on your mind? Yeah, um, I don't really know if Nevins have, say, a Nagelsmann. Um, I think the closest to that sort of bracket, you'd say, for a Dutch coach that's making big waves is, is Ten Hag, but he's not that young. Um, there's not really anyone really impressed me that much. You know, Slot would say that after last year that he was the big up-and-coming Dutch coach. Um, it's not going so well this year so far, but you know, he's still got plenty of time to, to improve. Um, in the second division, I really like the way Vaughan down are playing, the attacking football they play with them young in charge. But yeah, they still lose games. They're still you know, around 6th, 7th in the table. So we need to see more from him, see if they can get hit promoted and see how he does in the Eredivisie but yeah there's not a big host of Dutch coaches um, at the minute which is rather worrying because you can see it around Europe as well that Dutch coaches seem to be dwindling um, whereas at one point you know they were all around the place um, you know you got still got Koeman at Barcelona and Pierre Bosch did a, a good job at Leverkusen, but you know, you, you used to be more than that. Um, but right now, there's not very many that are coming through at the moment that really impressed me. I think Danny Boyce in Eredivisie is, is the main one. I think what he's doing with Ronnie is, is great. Um, we'll see how Yanni Janssen keeps doing with it here and being even keep improving them. Slot A, Z, if you know, they return to what the form they were looking at last season, he's another coach coming through um, and yeah we'll see what Renner Hacker can do with Utrecht with the chance that he's been given but other than that there's not very much Dutch coaches around that are catching my eye at the moment. It's a shame because there's so many great young Dutch players again coming through the ranks. Um, I can I just make a final note on Feyenoord Mike because there is a, um, a player coming through there who had a couple of games recently. I haven't been able to catch him yet. But um, I believe he's called Vermin. He's only 21 years old, attacking midfielder. Uh, he had a couple of games now. Have you had a chance to watch him? Yeah. Um, he was given his chance, big chance today um, to start. And yeah, I think he's a big, big talent. I know Feyenoord fans are in awe of him um, from his time in the youth teams. And I think that he's one that they've been waiting to, to get a chance we saw it last year with Fauterberger was given a bit of a chance before he's been sent out on loan. We just hope that Gehrman comes in and, and keeps his place in the team. I think that you know you want to see Feyenoord given some of the youngsters that are coming through for a chance. And I think Gehrman's been one that's been knocking on the door for the past couple of years. And it seems that Dick Advocates are actually ready now to, to draft him in, um, which is great to see. And yeah, I think he's a very talented midfielder. He's, he's good on the ball. He can dribble with it. His passing range seems to be excellent. Um, so yeah, he's definitely one to keep an eye on in, in Rotterdam. Yeah, and it, it's not always smooth in final at the minute. They're on the way up, but they don't seem to be quite yet ready to challenge for the title this season. Something quite interesting happened today with Nikolai Jorgensen. He was brought off 
um, later in the game. He's trying to gain his fitness back. He's trying to get him back amongst the goals. Didn't score again. And after the match, Evercart was challenged about Jorgensen's substitution, why he was taken off. Uh, Jorgensen said to him, I'm a striker, I want to score. And Avocat said back to him, well, then you should have done it. You should have scored some goals. That's fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, fair enough, isn't it? But yet again, Jorgensen uh, not fit and firing. And if he's not scoring the goals, then you can see why final will be struggling. Anything else you want to mention on this podcast, Mike? Um, no, that's it for me. Um, again, it's just, you know, out of these seasons, so far, I think it's been a really good one. Um, I think that we're seeing yeah. new teams coming through. I think the tests have been a breath of fresh air. I've really enjoyed seeing Heron Vane, Cronigan, um, as I said, I don't inspire a lot. are not doing too great, but I'm enjoying watching them. Um, I think AZ are getting better, so we're going to see them keeping it improving. And yeah, it's great for the league that I think there is young players coming through and they're getting a chance like Veerman, I think Ajax given some of their youngsters a chance, whereas, which, you know, Wrench got his yesterday, you know, Brobby got his a couple of weeks ago, hopefully Ten Hag continues to to do that. Um, and yeah, the only other thing that's concerning me now is um, I had to run at PSV and hopefully he can return because he's such a big player for the future Dutch national team. Um, you know, I've been hoping to see him make his debut every single team. time he gets called up now he seems to have some sort of issue, which is rather concerning. Um seems to be some doubts whether he's been dropped for form or at the minute he's he's gonna miss something like his game against Spire Rotterdam. He's left out of the squad for the Europa League game in midweek. Um you know, Schmidt said he was sick, but we'll see what happens with that. Um because he's an outstanding player that doesn't seem to be able to fit into Schmidt's system, he seems to struggle. Um, every single time he does get a chance to start, he gets hauled off pretty quickly. Um, he's a player struggling for confidence and form. So yeah, he's one that, at the minute, you know, he was one that before the season started, I was saying was going to be the start of the season and he's just not been able to live up to that yet. But hopefully over the next few weeks we'll see him return to some sort of form because he's the sort of player I want to see in the Eredivisie from week in, week out. But yeah, around the the league. It's a great season so far. Hopefully Ajax, PSV, Feyenoord and AZ have a good week in, in Europe. Um, we can all see them progress for the groups. And then, yeah, it's just all around right now with the national team doing better under the Boer and teams performing in Europe. It's it's a good time to be a Dutch football fan. It is. Uh, I've really enjoyed the season too so far. And we'll be sure to record something again in a couple of weeks when uh, the groups are sort of been decided, if you like, finalised. We'll definitely give our reaction to Ajax, RZ, PSV and Finals um, European groups. Well, Mike, um, thanks for joining me. And yeah, until next time, we'll record another podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. And of course, if you've got any comments you want to make, give us your opinions on how Frank de Boer's got on and he's start as a national team manager now. Give us your thoughts on the top teams in the Eredivisie. How, how have you been making uh, this season so far? What have you been thinking about them? And... Give us any questions you've got for next time too, because it won't be too long before our next podcast is out. Thanks everyone for listening. That is back up! That is back up! That is Yeah! 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 That is he! Yeah! Yeah! That is Klaassen! Goal!